This weekend, more than two billion people around the world are gathering together just like us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the most celebrated event in all of history. Now obviously you know about the resurrection or perhaps you wouldn't be here today, but my desire is that you and I would come to experience the life-changing benefits of the resurrection. More about that a little bit later, but of course, over the years, various sources have attempted to discredit the idea of a resurrection. Maybe you're familiar with some of the more popular uh, theories out there. One is called the, the swoon theory. It's the idea that on the cross, Jesus Christ really didn't die. He simply passed out or swooned, and then they took his body down, put it in a tomb. Somehow he was able to maneuver this boulder away, overcome a couple of guards, walk seven miles to the village of Emmaus, and on the way revealed himself to his disciples as, in such a way as to convince them there had been a resurrection. When according to the theory, there was no resurrection because there was no death. I think the best response to the idea of the swoon theory comes in reply to a letter that a woman had written uh, to a question-answer forum. Dear sirs, our pastor said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Signed, bewildered. Dear bewildered, beat your pastor 39 times with a cat of nine tails, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his side, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours, and see what happens. Yeah, there you go. By the way, don't get any ideas from that, okay? Yeah. Another theory you may have heard of is that the women on Easter Sunday morning went to the wrong tomb. It was one that was unoccupied. They then said that Jesus was very much alive, when in reality, according to the theory, he was in a different tomb. Well, at least two of them had observed where the body of Jesus had been placed. And even if they mistook the tomb, one wonders how all the others, including those who placed Jesus in the tomb, could have made the same mistake. No, there's ample testimony to support the fact that Jesus Christ died, testimony not only of his friends, but also of his enemies. And as for the resurrection, imagine this morning that we are crime scene investigators, okay? CSI Jerusalem, what would we have seen? What would we have observed? What evidence would there be to support the Christian claim of a resurrection? Well, for starters, there's the fact that the body was gone. Even though it had been placed in a tomb, guards were present, all of that taking place. And uh, if the authorities had the body, all they had to do was to produce it, Christianity would have crumbled and we wouldn't be here today because there wouldn't be a Christian church. But they couldn't produce it because they didn't have it. We also would have uh, noticed some additional evidence namely that the grave wrappings about the body of Jesus were left behind in the tomb on the slab where his body had been completely undisturbed. Now, we know that Jesus was prepared for burial. He was wrapped, as was the Jewish tradition, in strips of linen, mummy-like, with a separate cloth about his head, looking like something like a turban. 
and they placed his body on this uh, stone slab. Well, if somebody had taken the body of Jesus, either they would have taken the wrappings along with the body so there wouldn't be anything in the tomb, or the other possibility is that they would have unwrapped the body for some reason and left the wrappings in a heap on the floor. But that is not what we would have observed. We would have observed the wrappings right there on that slab, just as if the body of Jesus had passed through them. So as crime scene investigators, we would have noticed the body was gone, grave wrappings still there as if Jesus had passed through them. And then we recall that Jesus showed himself alive on 10 separate occasions, once to over 500 people. We could have interviewed them. And then we would have witnessed the changed lives of the disciples. Here are Jesus' followers, his immediate disciples. They are panic-stricken. They are anxious. They are fearful as to what might happen to them. Few days later, they're in the same city where Jesus had been crucified, only now they're witnessing to the reality of his bodily resurrection. You know, sometimes people are willing to suffer a little bit of inconvenience in order to perpetuate a lie. But no one in his or her right mind is going to be willing to die in order to perpetuate a lie. And yet these men were willing to die for their faith in a bodily resurrection. And so as a CSI team, we would have discovered the body was gone, grave wrappings undisturbed, Jesus was seen, the disciples were changed. That's certainly more than enough evidence to answer any objection that has ever been raised concerning the fact of the resurrection. But here we are, Easter 2022. And I'm thinking the big question on our minds today is not so much is there evidence to support the fact of the resurrection because there is. I think the bigger question that we have today is so what? So what? Jesus is alive, so what? What difference does the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually make? I want to attempt to answer that question this morning by sharing with you four powerful ways in which the resurrection of Jesus Christ can make a profound difference in each of our lives. So if you're taking sermon notes using the outline that's tucked away there in your program, you might want to write these down. First of all, the resurrection proves that all of the claims of Christ are true. Now, if you think about it, Jesus throughout his life and ministry made some rather outrageous claims. On one occasion, he said, I am the truth, follow me. I mean, what would you think of a teacher? For example, of me this morning, if I got up before you and I were to say, not I have truth, listen to me, but rather I am the truth, follow me. You would think something had happened to me, right? I mean, we live in a culture today where truth is whatever works for you. We're told it's intolerant to claim that you have the final word, but this is exactly what Jesus Christ claimed. On another occasion, Jesus, in essence, mentioned that people today are hungry. They're hungry for love, for acceptance, for security. And then he made this claim. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Jesus is claiming that he can satisfy the inner hunger of your heart. Another occasion, 
Jesus said that people today are walking around in darkness and despair. They're confused. They have no sense of purpose or direction in life. He then said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, claiming that he can give you clear purpose and direction and meaning. And then he addressed people who are anxious, filled with worries and fears, all kinds of concerns in their lives. And he made this claim. If you're tired from carrying heavy burdens, and who isn't, come to me, I will give you rest. And then to those people just like us, common people who want a relationship with God, Jesus on another occasion said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You notice he doesn't say, hey, I'm one of the ways, you know, just pick one. All roads lead to heaven. I mean, that would be like saying, I can use any combination of numbers on a phone and get you. I mean, that's not gonna work. I need only one set of numbers to get you. And Jesus is saying, only one way will connect you to God and I'm it. Okay, so we made these claims. Other religious leaders have made some interesting claims. How do we know that Jesus is telling the truth? How do we know that he really can satisfy the inner hunger of our hearts? That he can deal with the anxieties that we're all dealing with these days and bring us into a relationship with God? How do we know? Well, here's your answer. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that all of the claims that Jesus ever made are true. Look at this verse of scripture. Jesus Christ, our Lord, was shown to be the Son of God when God powerfully raised him from the dead. In other words, in the resurrection, God is vindicating all of the claims that Jesus ever made. It's as if God is making a public announcement, my son is all that he claimed to be. Well, do you see the significance of this today for those of us who may be tempted to put Jesus in the same category as a Gandhi or Mohammed or Buddha or some other religious leader? All of their graves are occupied, whereas the grave of Jesus is open and it's empty. And so as a result, when he says, I can satisfy you, I can refresh your life, I can change you on the inside, that's the claim of a living Christ. Listen, maybe somebody in your life has greatly hurt you or disappointed you. Maybe a spouse walked out on you. Maybe a parent gave up on you, didn't want anything to do with the family. And so today, you'd just like a little bit of assurance that if you were to get serious about this person named Jesus, that you're not setting yourself up for yet another failure. You'd like some assurance in your life that if you do commit your life to Christ, you're not gonna undergo yet another hurt because you're not sure right now you could handle it. Well, Jesus says to you, Easter 2022, I'm alive, you can trust me. I'm never gonna leave you or forsake you. And you can know it, all of my claims are true because of the resurrection. Secondly, the resurrection also proves that the sacrifice of Christ was accepted. Now we know that Jesus died. I mean, there are secular historians of the first century, Roman historian Tacitus, Jewish scholar by the name of Josephus and others who have written to support the claim that yes, Jesus of Nazareth died. 
The question is, why? Why did he die? Well, look at this verse in Romans chapter 4. Jesus was delivered over to death. You say, yeah, I know. I know something of the story, at least, that that happened from the authorities, right? Jesus was turned over to death by the authorities. Well, not ultimately. Ultimately, the answer may surprise you, but God was the one that delivered Jesus over to death. Look at this other verse in Acts chapter 2. Jesus was handed over to death by God's set purpose and predetermined plan. So God delivered him over to death. You say, why in the world would God want to do something like that? Well, let's read on in the same verse. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. God sent Jesus to the cross. God punished his own son on the cross to satisfy his justice because the Bible says that the penalty for our sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal banishment from the very presence of God himself. So God punished Christ for what we did. He becomes our substitute. Now here's the question. How do we know, how do you know, that when Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins, that he died for every single one of yours and mine? Because you see, if he didn't, if there's some sin out there that hasn't been paid for, you and I have got to suffer the eternal consequences of that particular act. So how do we know come judgment day when we stand before God that somebody out there isn't going to say, hey, I've got some dirt on and mentions you by name. How do you know that's not going to happen? Well, look at the rest of the verse. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life in order to put us right with God. And so the resurrection proves that the sacrifice of Christ was accepted. You know, to illustrate this, all of us have had the experience of going into a store, grabbing a few items, going up to the cashier, paying for those items, and then the cashier <clears throat> gives us back a slip of paper. What is that called? A receipt, right? So on our way out of the store, if we're stopped by some security person who says, uh, excuse me, did you pay for the items in your bags? We can say, yes, here's the receipt, right? So the receipt demonstrates that reality. Well, Jesus Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and the resurrection becomes your receipt. Now let me show you how this can make a difference in your life. As a pastor, I sometimes talk to people who have a hard time forgiving themselves for stuff that they have committed in the past. And they even wonder then at times, how can God forgive me? And so they carry around all of this guilt. Listen, when your conscience says to you, Abby, Mike, whatever your name is, what about that moral failure in your past? You just tell conscience, Jesus Christ was delivered over to death for my sins. And when conscience comes back and says to you, yeah, but how do you know he paid the price for every one of them? You can tell conscience, the resurrection is my receipt. So what difference does Easter make? The claims of Christ are true. He can minister to our hearts and the sacrifice of Christ was accepted. Thirdly, the resurrection also proves that new life is possible in the present, here and now. It's like the person who studied Christianity for a while 
And then one day came to see me and said, Rich, if I commit my life to Jesus, what changes? And I was able to point out to him two significant things change. There's the promise of forgiveness and there's the possibility of power. So to begin with, Jesus extends the possibility of complete forgiveness for your past. Now, I'm a novice golfer. I get to play with one of my adult kids about every 10 years, which is typically how long it takes for them to forget how bad their dad really is. Yeah, but I remember one of the more recent times I played. I got my ball, I put it on the tee, and I got out this club they said was a driver. Okay, so I hit the ball, I top it, it goes about 10 feet. And I'm going, oh boy, this is gonna be a long day. And I said, no dad, you don't have to worry about that. You can claim a mulligan, a, a, a what? A mulligan, which means what? Well, it means that that doesn't count. You get to, to, to uh, hit the ball all over again. It's not gonna count against your score. So this is great, I can do a mulligan on every shot, you know? Well, obviously that didn't happen, but all of us at times would like a mulligan for life. We'd like a do-over. We make these moral mistakes and we deeply regret them and we wonder, wow, can I even start all over? Does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean anything to those of us who live with regrets and feeling at times like total moral failures? Absolutely it does. Notice this verse. Speaking of God, it says this, he has forgiven all our sins and canceled every record of the debt we owed. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. So Jesus is offering you and me a mulligan for life. Isn't that incredible? He says, you know, all of those things that you are embarrassed about, feel terrible about, those hurts, I died for every single one of them so that through faith in me you can begin a brand new life. You say, okay, that sounds pretty good. How does it work? Well, you can't earn it. You can't do anything to justify your receiving it. You can just receive it as an act of faith. And so the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by faith that we are put right with God. Now for some of us with some interesting backgrounds where we have struggled morally, I mean, this may sound too simple, too good to be true. It's like the letter I received from this woman not all that long ago. She said the following, let me read it to you. She said, Dear Rich, I was baptized, confirmed, attended Sunday school, and was always taught and reminded to do good and to keep doing good to others. That's what would get me into heaven. But I couldn't fulfill that standard. As my life went, I was pregnant and married by the time I was 17. At the age of 20, I had two babies and was divorced. With no education, I felt awful. How could anyone forgive me? I got married a second time, had another baby, and was again divorced. I couldn't forgive myself, let alone think I was going to be allowed into heaven. I was divorced for quite some time when I met my third husband. I'm still a little bit embarrassed about that. Then we were invited to attend church. The message was about going to heaven. 
I started to cry when it was said, you that believe on Jesus Christ, the Son of God who was crucified and died for you, we will go to heaven. It wasn't our good deeds, how much we gave to the church or what we did that would get us into heaven. That day I sat in church with tears running down my cheeks. I knew it wasn't too late for me. I asked Jesus that Sunday morning to come into my heart and life, and since that day, I've never felt so much peace, joy, or comfort. Rich, it was also said that once the Lord comes into your heart and life, he'll never leave you or give up on you. Do you know what that meant to me? After being left twice, deserted with three kids, she concluded, I'm still doing good for others, not to get into heaven, but because Jesus Christ has changed my life. Isn't that great? I mean, maybe like this woman, the message you picked up over the years is, come on, do better. You can do better. You can earn God's favor and acceptance. No, the trouble with that system is it's an impossible standard. Enough is never enough, is it? Instead, God says, if you want a mulligan, if you want forgiveness, if you want to start over, it's possible, all because of the resurrection. He just asks you to confess by faith that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So forgiveness is possible, and so for that matter is power for your present problems. You know, I talk to a lot of people who tell me that they feel like life is out of control for them right now. With all of this COVID stuff and everything else that's been going on, financial pressures, issues with schooling here in the city of Minneapolis and so forth, I mean, they just feel life is a total disaster. It's a mess, they don't have any control over it. They feel powerless to break a bad habit. They feel powerless to save an important relationship. And maybe that's your story this morning. Through the power of the risen Christ, you can have strength to begin to live in purity, honesty, and in love. It doesn't occur automatically, and I'm not suggesting to you it's going to happen without, at times, an intermoral struggle. But when you say, in the moment of need, God, I need your power right now to deal with this, this struggle morally, or because I want to act in, in, with integrity, or because I need to love a person who's hard for me to love, the power is there. Look at this verse of scripture. How incredibly great is God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that God, that raised Christ from the dead. I mean, just think of this. The same power that raised Jesus 2,000 years ago is available to me and to you. So you ask the question, why is the resurrection such a big deal? First of all, because it proves all of the claims of Christ are true, his sacrifice is accepted, and because forgiveness and power are possible in the present. Well, there's one more advantage that we get, and that is the resurrection proves that we'll be raised after death. Perhaps the most difficult issue that we ever deal with is the issue of death. That of a loved one, you know, or a close friend of ours, a family member, or even our own inevitable death. The words, he's gone or she's dead, hurt, no matter how much advance warning you may have had. And you look around, you see the high chair is empty. 
For you see, the double bed is now single. For you're aware that the table is never going to be set for that person again, that the telephone call goes unanswered, the familiar voice from the next room will never be heard again, because death is that final. Or is it? Is it? Is there any hope? Does the resurrection of Jesus make any difference when it comes to death, ours, or that of somebody else that we care about? Friends, it's the only message, it's the only reality that can give you solid, certain hope. There is nothing else. No other message, no other claim. So look at this verse of scripture from Romans 8. Just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. It's saying that death is not the end of the story. When we die, if you're a Christ follower, you are immediately ushered into the presence of Christ in terms of your soul, your spirit. Your body awaits the second coming when Jesus is gonna return. He's gonna raise up and restore your body into a perfect body. Can you think of what this means for those who are dealing with disabilities? For people, for that matter, who have known nothing but constant pain over the years, to be running and laughing and jumping and celebrating throughout eternity, that's what it means. Are we going to recognize believing loved ones? Oh yeah, we will. I mean, they recognize Jesus following his resurrection, and we can be certain about this because of the resurrection. You know, some of you parents have buried children. Some of you wives have said farewell to husbands, husbands to wives. Others have lost a parent or a friend. That's why today we cast ourselves upon the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and there and there alone find solid hope to continue. So if you ask me on this Easter Sunday morning, does this Does the resurrection make any difference at all? Oh, wow, does it ever. First of all, the claims of Jesus are true. His sacrifice has been accepted. New life is possible in the present, and our future resurrection is guaranteed. But you know, knowing all these benefits doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be yours. We've got to take some action step. What is it? Well, we need to commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, receiving him as our Savior and as our Lord. Say, how does that work? Well, many find it helpful to commit themselves to Jesus by means of a prayer. And so at the bottom of your sermon outline today, I've included a prayer. And I'd like to read it right now and just ask you to listen and to follow. It's going to be up on the screen as well. This is what it says. A prayer to start a relationship with God. Dear God, thank you for the ways Easter can make a difference in my life. I believe that the claims of Christ are true and that he died for my sins and is alive today. Forgive me of my past. Change me by your power. Give me hope for the future. I now receive your gift of eternal life. I turn from my sin and ask you to be the leader and Lord of my life from this day forward. Amen. By sincerely praying a prayer like this, these benefits become yours immediately. No rituals to obey, no rules to carry out. 
And so I'm inviting you this morning to sincerely pray this prayer and start a relationship with God himself. Friends, there's hope in this dark world. Jesus is alive and he gives life abundant to all who believe on his name. Let's pray together. Well, have you committed your life to Jesus? If you're not sure, I invite you right now to silently pray the prayer found at the bottom of your outline. And if you've committed your life to Christ, you have taken the most important step in your life and these benefits are now yours. Father, comfort us with these words and may this be a day of real change and celebration and great joy for each and every one of us as we contemplate the radical difference that the resurrection makes. Through our living Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen.